This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. Are you certain you will spend eternity with Jesus when you pass from this earth? Surprisingly, many people, including those who profess to be Christians, will answer that question, well, I hope so. Oh, friends, because of God's grace, we can know so. We can be absolutely sure that our eternity is secure. Today's message from Scott Pollock may be the most important you have heard since you first believed in Christ for salvation, as he talks about the gift of assurance that we find in grace. Scott is the lead pastor of Faith Bible Church of the Woodlands, Texas, and author of the booklet, Grace, Simple, Profound. At the end of our podcast, we'll tell you how to download a free copy. Let's listen now as Pastor Pollock explains why our eternal salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. When I was about their age, I, my mom took me to the doctor for a normal checkup before school. And uh, I went there, no problem. The doctor made the mistake of asking me, is there anything, you know, that, you, you, that hurts on you? And I was like, well, my wrist kind of hurts. I was a skateboarder at the time. And uh, I was like, it's fine. I sleep with a brace on me. He's like, you sleep with a brace on your hand? I was like, yeah, it's no problem. Went for a checkup, came home with a cast on my hand, okay? He said, well, let's get an x-ray. So they did an x-ray right there. He found that there was a hairline fracture. Came home with a cast on my hand. Very upsetting, right? Since then, I've had that sneaking suspicion and question. Is there something wrong with me that I don't know, you know? What, is that spot there before? Why do I have such a bad headache? Um, all of these kinds of questions. You ever wondered that? A little bit of hypochondria, perhaps, in you? There are lots of things that can happen to us, right? Mosquitoes we're scared of these days. Um, all kinds of things that can happen randomly. You know that doctors all... Um, across our country about a year ago fully had to comply with a new classification of diseases. It's called ICD. It stands for the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. This is version 10. And um, I was listening to a doctor describe this and he said um, version 9 had about 18,000 different specific codes. Version 10 went to 140,000 codes. Okay. Some of my favorites are awesome because these are very, very specific, like this one. Um, pedestrian accident on a skateboard colliding with a pedal cycle in a non-traffic accident, okay? There's a specific code for that, all right? Um, this one, not just what happens, but how it happens and where it happens. Code W58.11, bitten by crocodile, okay? W58.12, struck by crocodile. W58.13, crushed by crocodile. W58.19, other contact by crocodile, okay? <laughs> very, very specific, very, very specific. I don't know what this one really means or looks like in the doctor's office, but maybe it's shocking, I don't know. R46.0, very low level personal hygiene. That's a code. I'm really confused about another one that seems related. Z72.821, inadequate sleep hygiene. I'm not, 
I'm totally at a loss. Uh, so if there's a doctor in the house that can explain that one. These are my two favorite. I'm not sure I would like to get this particular diagnosis. R46.1 in the ICD-10, R46.1, bizarre personal appearance. That's a, <laughs> that's a code in there. I'm not sure most people get that or very few people get that. Here's by far my favorite, okay? Under the section of burns, this is it. V91.07XA, burns due to water skis on fire, okay? <laughs> it's a code. The very next one is awesome. V91.07XB, burns due to water skis on fire, second encounter, okay? <laughs> Do it again, I guess. Um, but you may be fearful of things that happen to you, um, the things that may happen to you or your loved ones or your kids. Have you ever suffered from a little bit of spiritual hypochondria? Thinking about your relationship with God, wondering, uh, am, am I and God okay? Is God on good terms with me? Am I on good terms with God? Have I done too much? Have I maybe lost his love? Am I out of his family, maybe you feel like you've turned your back on him, maybe you feel like you've struggled a little bit, you've gone through a dark night of the soul. You hear pastors and like me and others talk about reading your Bible, you're like, I, I don't read my Bible very much, does that mean that God doesn't like me or that I'm not in or maybe I'm not good at prayer, maybe I don't understand worship very much, it makes me uncomfortable, does that mean that I'm on junior varsity versus varsity with God, how, how does that work? Have you ever suffered from some spiritual hypochondria? Do you know that fear, doubt, and insecurity are rampant, not only in the world by way of diseases and trials and suffering, but in our hearts and minds when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the scriptures. And I want you to know right off the bat, um, God does not want his children to live in fear and doubt and insecurity. If you're a parent in the room, and at your very best, okay, do you want your kids or grandkids or great-grandkids to live in fear that they're not in good relationship with you, to be doubtful of that, to be insecure? No. When we're at our best, parents, we want our kids to be free from fear and doubt and insecurity. God, who is a much greater father than any of us, wants the same for his daughters and sons, to be free from fear, to be free from fear and doubt and insecurity. And so as we start the second week of our grace series, we're going to look at a beautiful answer to that in Romans chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. And let me tell you, this is a, a helpful companion to our series, our grace series. Um, you got maybe a hard copy of this last week. You can still get that on our app, on our website. You can download it right now on your phone and read it. Um, it's a helpful little small five chapter. You can read a chapter in 10 minutes. Um, also, we have been talking about this a lot and we will continue to talk about this forever. This is our Faith Path Discipleship Map plus online content. This is only one part of it. One part of it is the map that kind of maps out Christian discipleship at a glance, straight from scripture, okay? The other part is thefaithpath.org, the online content that goes in depth in each one of these circles and steps, explains how you can explore more about each of those steps and really mature fully in your following of Jesus. This specific series, this great series, 
follows at least two of the specific steps in the map, and that is understand grace better and practice grace with others. And so we want to tell you that everything we do here at Faith Bible Church fits on that map because everything that we do should be spurring us on into all that God wants for us as a disciple, as a missionary, as a worshiper, okay? And so this series speaks to that, uh, at least those two circles, maybe more. But so pick up a map out on the wall here, download the little grace study, maybe helpful for you. But Romans chapter five is where we are. We started last week in Romans chapter three um, and today chapter five, about 11 verses. Let me read it to you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, our sufferings. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance or endurance. And perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This series has already started to get a lot of us talking in positive ways after the sermon last week where we read Romans chapter three, the very heart of the book of Romans about justification by faith, being declared righteous by God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, apart from works, apart from a performance of earning our way that God would like us, but no, because of what Jesus has done and we place our faith in Jesus, he declares us to be righteous by a gift of his grace. After that sermon, a lady came up to me in tears. And she said, Scott, I have to tell you, um, I grew up in the church, but uh, a church that emphasized different things than ours. And uh, so much so that I spent a good season of my life reading through all of the New Testament with a notebook. And I kept uh, a very short, succinct line in my notebook for each thing that the scriptures said that I must do. And I filled a notebook with them. Then I would carry around that notebook and ask myself, am I doing these things? Am I doing enough? Am I good enough to be in God's good graces? And she, with tears down her face, couldn't speak at the end of that. And I just looked at her and I said, is it good to be free from that? And she says, yes, it is. And she just walked away. The second conversation came um, from a young man who's a friend of mine. He came up and he said, I got a question. What about holiness? What about obedience, works of obedience? And I said, that's the perfect question to ask after such a sermon. That's what people would have asked Paul after such a sermon. That's what he expected the Romans to ask him after he wrote it. And so when we talk about the beautiful gift of God's grace, our next question should be, are, are works of obedience important? Are good works important? 
What about holiness? What about the things that you ask us to do? And yes, 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 they are critical, but they do not earn your way into heaven. They do not earn your justification. They flow in gratitude and obedience out of your justification. That's how we become more and more like Jesus. And make no mistake, a Christian should not be foolish, should not willfully sin. There are consequences to sin as a Christian. You cannot be a fool and abuse God's grace without consequence. And so holiness is terribly important. All of those things, but what grace does is put it in its proper place. It puts it after justification. Look at our text, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we talked about this last week. That word justified is not a word that we use a lot, unless you're a lawyer maybe, okay? It doesn't mean to be made righteous in reality in all of your actions. It means that God declares you to be righteous because of what Jesus has done. So when we put our faith in Jesus, the perfect one, he gives us his perfection and the father says, I declare you, gavel uh, slap, I declare you to be just in my sight, to be right in my sight, to be righteous and justified. Therefore, having been justified, this is an aorist tense, which means that that is a past completed action, we have peace with God. You see, Paul is interested and God is interested in speaking directly to our fear and doubt and insecurity. He says, you've been justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. And that gives you peace, peace with God. God does not want you to live in fear or doubt or insecurity. He wants you to have peace. It gets even better. Look, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access back into the presence of God because of our faith in Jesus, and we get to stand in grace. You see that picture? Grace is not something that we simply, thank you, Jesus, for our grace in our salvation. It forgives me. It redeems me, puts my name in your book, gives me heaven, okay, and we set it on the shelf like a little trophy, thank you so much, and we walk away. That's not the only use of grace. Grace is, look, a house in which we live. It's like boots that we stand, it's a suit that we wear. It's an ocean that we wade in, do you see that? We have our access into, by faith, into this grace in which we stand, in which we live and move. God's grace is ever-present, ever-giving, ever-surprising, ever-ready to pour out gift upon gift upon gift in your life. It's a beautiful gift. It's a gift of gifts, really, God's grace, in this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we exult in our sufferings, our tribulations. Wait a second, how can Paul say that? It's not that we're sadistic and go looking for trouble or suffering, but he said God's grace is so powerful. It's so beautiful, so unexpected, so big, so deep in which we stand that even when suffering comes, and that Greek word for suffering is, it means an external force that's applied to you that causes trial and suffering. Even when sufferings come, that grace is alive and well, and it speaks into it. So we have this hope, not only in our sufferings, but we know that this suffering, when met with grace, produces endurance, this Greek word hupomone, which means to stay with it, to stay on the track. It's translated perseverance well, endurance. 
And endurance produces uh, proven character and proven character hope. And now verse five is one of the first gifts of grace. In the gift of grace, there are gifts that I want to talk about, verse five. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. This speaks directly into one of our fears. This peace with God that we have because of our justification speaks directly into one of our fears. So this love of God, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the old, um, I think it's old King James, shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. It speaks to this question. Once you are justified by God, by your faith in Jesus, can you lose that justification? Can God change his mind? Can God say, I did declare you righteous, but you know what? Uh, You've messed up a lot since then. I'm gonna take that back. Or you on your own, God says to us, you've walked too far out. You've done too much or you haven't done enough. So, hey, uh, it was back then, but no longer. Once you are justified, are you always justified? Can you lose that? Can you gain it back? There are lots of well-meaning Christians all throughout history and throughout our earth that see answers to that questions from the Bible in different ways. The history of our church and me personally have always been what we would consider very, very biblical. And Paul's answer is no. Once God justifies you, declares you to be righteous, you cannot lose that justification. But why? Why? He looks in verse five, let's look again. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He gives us a little picture. It's not the only time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the scriptures in this specific way. Paul talks about it again in Ephesians. He speaks of it other places in Romans. First Peter talks about it. The Gospel of John talks about it in this specific way. Here's what happens. When the person is justified, God does something in you that proves once you're justified, you're always justified. And that proof is this. He gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When he gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in that moment when you put your faith in Jesus and he declares you to be righteous, you get the fullness of God living in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not just a part of him, but the fullness of him. And here's what the scriptures say about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That that is called an arabone in Greek. It's a down payment, earnest money of the fullness of redemption that God has yet to do. Let me ask you a question then. If God has given you the Holy Spirit in your heart as a down payment, how sure are you that God's gonna come and fully redeem you? When God makes a down payment, do you think he comes through on the rest of it? When God gives earnest money, do you think he comes through on the rest of it? I think our God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. I think God could not fail to keep a promise. He would cease to be God in that very moment. His character is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. He's true. He only makes promises. He doesn't break things. And so if God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, what does that say about our security in him? It says because you have been justified by faith as a gift of God's grace, you are secure in that salvation. Not because you 
persevere in a certain standard of holiness, but because of the power of God, the power of God. The pictures that he uses other than being sealed in the Holy Spirit are beautiful. He talks about birth. The Gospel of John, you maybe remember Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. Oh, in order to get in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again, right? He talks about that uh, throughout the New Testament, the rest of the speakers do. To be born again. If, if we had a sin problem and sin just made us bad, then all we would need to do is to be, get better, right? So we overcome sin by just getting better, but sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. And so we need to be brought back to life again. We need to be born again. Now, if you're born again, tell me, how can that action be undone? It can't be. Because that's a biblical picture of security in Jesus. Lots of pictures of security. You have adoption. You have being a part of the family. You have baptism. You have the book of life where God writes our names in the book of life. And his pencil does not have an eraser. My favorite, perhaps, is the idea of transfer. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, when you believe in me and the one who sent me, you cross over from death into life. You transfer, you cross the line. Colossians chapter 1. Our Father, our great Father, has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And there is no biblical language of transferring back. These pictures, and many, many more, are pictures of security. And so by grace, by the justification that God gives you by your faith in Jesus, you are secure because of the power of God, not because of your perseverance in a certain standard of holiness. Is holiness good? Yes, it's critically important. But if you base your security on how well you're doing, what happens when you don't do so well? What happens when you struggle? What happens when you get depressed? What happens when something really, really hurts you and that translates somehow to your fellowship with God and it gets interrupted? What happens then? Do you lose your security? No, God does not want you to lose your security because it's not based in you. It's based in him. You are secure because of the power of God. Jesus says, you are in the palm of my hand and nothing can snatch you out. You are in the palm of my father's hand and nothing can take you out. You are secure. That's the first gift. The second is even better. Verse six, as if it can get better. Verse six, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Pay attention to the words that it calls us here. Verse seven, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone will dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We are helpless, weak, impotent, ungodly sinners and enemies. That's what we were when God justified us. When we came to faith in Jesus, what were you? Not many were noble, Paul would say. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were perfect in righteousness. None of you were that. Not many of you walked on a golden beam to that point in your life, okay? Personal secretary to Mother Teresa, okay? None of you were that. The scripture says, Paul says, you were helpless, which means weak and impotent. You were ungodly. You were sinners. And not only that, you were enemies of God. And in that state, Jesus died for you. And then he will say much more than twice. Look, 
Verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If you are secure in your salvation because of your justification by faith in Jesus, is it presumptuous or arrogant to know that you're saved? To know fully that you're saved? I told you about the time in Texas A&M when I was about 20 minutes old in the Lord and had just trusted him and just trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. These guys sucked me in with this little survey. Are you saved? Check mark. Yes. How much do you know that? Here's a spectrum, 0% to 100%. I thought, you can't circle 100%. That's presumptuous, a little arrogant. I'm not going to do that. 90 is the right answer, right? It's like mostly there. But it's not fully there. I can't be accused of being arrogant, prideful if I circle on, but 90. And I said, yeah, I got it right. And they're like, we'd love to talk to you about how you can make that 100%. You're like, what? I thought that's the right answer, you know? Is it presumptuous to say if somebody asked you, are you saved? Do you know that you're going to go to heaven for sure when you die? Is it presumptuous or arrogant to say yes to that? Isn't that like knowing the future? Isn't that maybe like knowing what we feel like only God should know? I want to tell you that the scriptures say repeatedly throughout that God is very, very interested in sharing that information with you so that not only you can be secure in your salvation, but that you can be assured of it and have knowledge of it. In this passage, it says, how much more, if, listen, here's his argument. If this is the way you were when God found you, when you placed your faith in Jesus, if you were helpless and impotent and ungodly, a sinner and an enemy of God, if that's the way you were when you were first reconciled and justified, now that you are, do you think God is gonna pour more love on you and carry more of the weight and fill in more of the gaps, don't you think? I think the answer is yes. Yes, of course. If it's possible that God would love us more, he says much more than, more than, shall we be saved. Not only are we secure, but you have access to full assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. The problem that you and I struggle with is a point of reference. Somebody asks us, somebody, you may ask, you have a conversation, hey, uh, are you saved by Jesus? Yes, yes I am. Are you sure about that? Yes, I am. How do you know? That's always the big question. How do you know? How would you answer that question? Maybe the guy says, girl says, well, um, you know, I'm walking with Jesus now and I feel his presence and I feel the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in my life and things are great. And you would say, awesome, that's good. Uh, what happens if things aren't so great one day? What happens if you have a dark night of the soul? What happens if something terrible happens to your spouse or your child and you start to, blame God about that or something happens that is just too difficult for you to understand and you distance yourself from the body of Christ or from other Christians for a season? What happens if you have some doubts and you struggle? Do you lose your assurance in that time? Do you not know? See, there's a point of reference and this individual hypothetical situation, the point of reference is themselves. The point of reference is 
how good I'm doing, how well I'm doing, the fruit that I'm bearing, the presence of God in my life. I would submit to you that that is a terrible point of reference. And the scriptures say that's a terrible point of reference. Is God's work in your life confirmation of your salvation? Yes, yes indeed, absolutely, it should always be so. But I would submit to you that that's not the first um, level of assurance. That's not what God intends. What would be a better point of reference? Well, it seems to me here, as he's speaking to us in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Who told us that when we place our faith in Jesus, he would forgive us and save us? Well, God did. Would you consider that to be a promise of God? I would. How about we relate our assurance of our salvation in the point of reference, not to our performance, but to God's ability to make and keep a promise. Now that sounds like a much more biblical way of seeing things. How, uh, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Uh, how do you know? Well, you know, um, as I read the scriptures, it says, God says that when I trusted in Jesus, he would save me. I've trusted in Jesus, and so I know that I'm saved because God made a promise to do so. And God always keeps his promise. And even despite my performance, be it good as it should be, be it obedient and good works as God wants it to be, or it be something less than that, God will still keep his promise. And so there are, I still have assurance. The point of reference here is the God who reconciles, not the life and the performance of the one reconciled. He says, if you were ungodly and sinners and enemies and impotent and weakless and helpless, then what are you now? Don't you think God would love you more now and help you struggle through it now? Yes, yes, he would. That's his promise. So listen, you are secure in Jesus Christ because of the power of God, not your perseverance in a standard of holiness. And you are assured of your salvation because of the promise of God, not because of your performance. Your performance should be confirmation of that, but it should never be the first point of reference. That's like getting on a really bad roller coaster, isn't it? Today you're doing well, tomorrow you're not so much. It may not be the big outward sins, but what about the lust and pride and selfishness on the inside? If we're going up feeling good and have assurance and security, what happens when it reaches the top and it starts going down? Do we lose security and assurance? No, because the power of God is still there and the promise of God is still there. There, there are at least three ways of climbing a rock face to rock climb. The first one is free climbing. That's without any ropes or protection at all. I do not recommend that, okay? Um, there are a lot of people, spiritually speaking, free climbing in the world. They have no reference of God. Maybe they do not believe in him or they're rejecting him. And they're trying to climb in their life without any support, without any net, without any protection, without any rope whatsoever. That's going to end badly for them, unfortunately. God doesn't want it that way. That's the free climbing. Where there's another way of climbing a rock face, and that is taping, excuse me, taking protection in the rope with you on the way up. It's called lead climbing. So there's a person on the other end of the rope at the bottom, but you take it with you. 
There's always a pretty good amount of danger in that because you have to put in your own protection and put the rope in that and go up a little further and put in another protection. And when you fall, you're always gonna fall a little bit. You're not always gonna fall all the way down, but you fall a long way. I've lead climbed once in my life. I don't like talking about it, okay? It was a bad fall. I still have scars, one on my arm and one on my mind, okay? And I can't get rid of it. It was scary, all right? The third way of climbing a rock wall is what is called top rope climbing. And that is when someone has gone before you and put an anchor at the very top. And your rope goes from here and the person who's keeping you safe up to that anchor and then back down to you. And as you climb, the rope gets taken in so that when you slip and fall, you fall, but only that much. You fall only that much because someone has gone before. There is very, very little fear and doubt and insecurity when you see that way of climbing correctly. That's the way God would want us to live our life without fear, without doubt, without insecurity, saying, I have gone before you. All that needs to be accomplished has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. When he said from the cross, it is finished, he meant it. You get secured in by your faith and let's go together. When you slip, I got you. I will hold you. You will never fall. Yes, you'll slip. Yes, it'll be hard because it always is with sin in a broken world. But I've got you. You can be assured of that. You can be secure in that. That's the way that God wants his daughters and sons to live. That's a gift of God's grace. You have been listening to Pastor Scott Pollock. Oh, what freedom and joy comes in knowing that our eternity with Jesus Christ is secure, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has already done. So many need to hear this good news. Be sure to share this podcast with friends and family. Also, Scott has made available to you his free e-booklet, Grace, Simple, Profound, You can download it at gsot.edu forward slash simple grace. That's gsot.edu forward slash simple grace. Download your copy today. We're so glad you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 